Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents around the world. I'm Wang Zihang, coming up in this edition. The US House of Representatives has passed a bill to lift the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Foreign ministers from BRICS countries are gathering for a meeting in South Africa. And Chinese Defence Minister Li Xiangfu is scheduled to attend the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore this week. First, we begin in North America. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill to lift the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in a major step to avoid a destabilizing default. Entitled the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023, the bill now has to the Senate before the signing by President Joe Biden. Nick Harper has more from Washington, D.C. It passed relatively easy through the House of Representatives. 314 lawmakers approved this bill. Now, that's more than the simple majority they needed. But I think what's interesting to note is this bill was crafted by the Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, along with the Democratic President Joe Biden. The Republican Party holds the majority in the House of Representatives. Republicans voted against this bill. They wanted more severe uh, cuts to spending and therefore were unhappy with Kevin McCarthy's negotiations. But certainly enough votes for the House of Representatives. It now moves on to the Senate and they have obviously a ticking clock until Monday to get this passed, June the 5th. That's the date that the US Treasury has predicted that the US will run out of money. And yet already we've heard noises from a number of senators who are suggesting that they could hold up this bill. They want to make some changes to it, some amendments. They want to write those into the bill and that would force it back to the House of Representatives who would have to vote on it again. Now, the hope is that it could get fast-tracked through the Senate, but that might not happen. Even just one senator saying they want an amendment is going to slow this one up, potentially taking it into the weekend and getting it much closer to that Monday deadline. That was Nick Harper reporting. Staying in the US, the National Hurricane Center is gearing up for the Atlantic hurricane season. Nisa Soded Perez reports. The 2023 Atlantic hurricane season starts Thursday, June 1st. The U.S. National Hurricane Center predicts a 40% chance of a near-normal season, forecasting a range of 12 to 17 named storms. One to four of those storms, it says, could become major hurricanes with winds of 160 kilometers per hour or higher. The center's director says the public should not take this outlook lightly. But there's nothing good about a near-normal hurricane season in terms of activity. That's the activity we had across the basin last year. We had a catastrophic hurricane landfall in southwest Florida with Ian. We had Fiona affect Puerto Rico. We had a hurricane landfall in Florida in November with Nicole. So we're expecting a busy season. Now, for states like Florida, the latter half of the season tends to be more active. Last year, Hurricane Ian became the most expensive hurricane in Florida's history. It reached Category 5 and made landfall as a Category 4 in Punta Gorda by Florida's Gulf Coast. Ian was responsible for more than 150 deaths in the U.S. and Cuba. Now, for this summer, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced a series of upgrades. We've implemented a new storm surge model in NOAA uh, that is helping us to push real-time storm surge predictions out 72 hours in advance of the storm to get that critical life-saving information out to emergency managers and, the, and others who make those uh, evacuation decisions. But their main message to all those living in the Atlantic Basin is to start getting ready now. It only takes one powerful hurricane to disrupt the lives of entire communities. 
That was Nitsa Sodet Perez reporting from the U.S. National Hurricane Center in Miami. Turning to Africa, the Sudanese army has suspended ceasefire talks with the rival paramilitary faction Rapid Support Forces. Over the past months, the talks brokered by Saudi Arabia and the U.S. had been repeatedly violated. Many say the suspension could severely undermine the current humanitarian aid. A conflict management official at the African Union has said Sudan and the Sudanese people need to address the systemic grievances that date back decades. Naba Mahidin has this report from Sudan. The military said the RSF is violating the ceasefire. This is why they are suspending uh, the talks and they also said uh, the RSF uh, are not committing to the terms of the agreement signed in Jeddah, which is the occupation, the still occupation of the hospitals and residencies, uh, residences and the neighborhoods. So uh, the RSF are still located and they are still controlling some hospitals and neighborhoods. The military said they are sus- the suspending the talks in Jeddah unless the RSF withdraw from the uh, neighborhoods and from the hospitals and all of the civilians. Uh, buildings. Uh, till that, we will see uh, a collapse of uh, the security situation in the country and we will see more confrontations between the two warring factions. Uh, this will have great impact on the people inside the capital and other uh, uh, states, especially that for northern Kurdufan, Khartoum state and other regions because the collapse of ceasefire and the suspension of the talks uh, will definitely make it very hard to even uh, evaluate the situation or assess it. Uh, the situation will be more uh, unclear and more fragile. There was Number Mahidin reporting. More on Africa. As South Africa prepares to host the BRICS summit in August this year, foreign ministers from the group's member countries will touch down in the country this week. The midterm meeting will give member states a chance to reflect on the regional and global developments thus far. It will also set expectations for the summit in August. Julie Shire reports. The annual BRICS foreign ministers meeting will set the tone for the 15th summit being held in South Africa. The grouping has grown in stature since its establishment in 2006 and has positioned itself as an alternative voice to the West. For a decade and a half now, we've had a consistent process of developing nations building, developing their own agendas and cooperating on multiple fronts, you know, whether it's the BRICS New Development Bank, uh, whether it is a host of other uh, BRICS-related interventions on anything from ICT to counter-terror to uh, uh, African peace and security issues. BRICS makes up 25% of the global economy, which is still fragile after the COVID-19 pandemic. Economic recovery has been set back further by the standoff between founding member Russia and the Ukraine. The conflict has raised political tensions and caused instability around food and energy costs. The world is extremely polarized and fractured at the current time. And I think it's important that as BRICS countries, uh, we focus on how is, is it possible for us as a collective to positively impact in addressing all of these challenges. Africa is a key focus at this year's summit as it ramps up free trade ambitions. The inclusion of other countries in the formation is also on the agenda and will be explored at the Friends of BRICS meeting. We still have an unequal global environment where those that have dominated the global stage uh, and making decisions on behalf of most of us, if not all of us, in the global south And increasingly you are finding that the Global South would like to have uh, a say 
in determining the shape of the new evolving order. South Africa said it will provide diplomatic immunity to attendees from the BRICS group of countries, a practice the government said is routine to protect the conference and its attendees from the jurisdiction of the host country for the duration of the conference. That was Julie Shire reporting. Now we head over to Europe for more updates on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Russia says a Russian town has been hit by Ukrainian artillery for a third time this week, and two Russian oil refineries have been attacked. Four people have been injured in the town of Shebekino, and the shelling has damaged an apartment building and four homes. Russian officials say drones struck two oil refineries east of Russia's biggest oil export terminals on Wednesday, but did not attribute blame for the attack. The United States, meanwhile, has announced new aid packages for Ukraine, which will include up to $300 million of air defense systems and ammunition. Berlin has demanded that Moscow shut down four out of its five consulates in Germany. This came after Russia limited the number of German officials in the country to 350. From Moscow, here's Stuart Smith. The German foreign ministry says its actions are designed to create a parity of personnel and structures after the changes imposed last weekend. It says most of those who'll lose their jobs or have to leave the country are working at cultural institutions like schools and nurseries. At the same time, the German foreign ministry said there was simply no basis for bilateral structures between the two countries. Meanwhile, top Russian official Dmitry Medvedev has again described the United Kingdom as Russia's eternal enemy and alleged officials helping Ukraine, whether civilian or military, are legitimate targets. That came in response to the UK foreign minister saying Ukraine has a right to project force outside its borders against Russia as it seeks to defend itself. On Wednesday, there were multiple reports of drone attacks and shelling from Ukraine against targets within Russia. That was Stuart Smith reporting from Moscow. In Kosovo, protests by ethnic Serbs have entered the third day. NATO is deploying more troops and putting up barricades to prevent further violence. The anger was triggered by the election of ethnic Albanian mayors in certain majority areas. French President Emmanuel Macron has blamed the Kosovo authorities for stoking tensions. Elisa Milankovic reports. The tensions in the northern Kosovo have subsided following violent clashes on Monday. NATO-led peacekeepers increased their presence around municipal buildings in three Serbian-controlled towns and erected barbed wire and anti-demonstration barricades. With an additional 700 more troops sent to Kosovo, bringing the total number of peacekeepers close to 4,000, the possibility of violence between the local Serbs and Kosovo-Albanian forces is becoming less likely. The Serbs in the town of Zvechan gathered on Wednesday morning for peaceful demonstrations. They demanded the release of their citizens arrested during Monday's protests. Kosovo declared its independence in 2008, but Serbia and around half of the world nations still considers it part of Serbia. The Serbs also want Kosovo's special police forces to withdraw from the municipal buildings in three cities and for Albanian mayors elected in the elections that Serbs boycotted not to assume office. At the same time, Western leaders, including French President Emmanuel Macron, accused Pristina of stirring up tensions. Very clearly, the Kosovo authorities bear responsibility for the current situation, and there was no respect shown for an important agreement that was signed only a couple of weeks ago. While Kosovo's leader Albin Kurti refused to back down, Serbia's military remains on high alert. 
deployed around the administrative line with Kosovo and Metohija in the southwest. That was Elsa Milankovic reporting. And finally, we come to Asia. Chinese Defense Minister Li Xiangfu is scheduled to address government officials and security experts at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore this week. The meeting comes amid high tensions between China and the United States. Media reports say China has declined the U.S. request for a meeting between the two countries' defense chiefs during the forum. China says the United States needs to show sincerity for talks. Myra Liu reports. The organizer says about 600 defense officials, military heads, and academics will be in attendance this year. On Saturday morning, the U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will deliver his speech to further illustrate the next steps for the U.S. leadership in the Indo-Pacific. Now that will surely be closely watched by the Chinese Defense Minister and his team. On Sunday, the last day of the Shangri-La Dialogue, General Li Shangfu will take the center stage to elaborate on Beijing's new security initiatives. It will be the first time for General Li to speak to so many of his counterparts on a multinational stage since he took office in. March this year. There will be a lot of focus on the Russia-Ukraine conflict, especially with the Ukrainian defense minister in attendance. You will see a mention of the Taiwan issue many times, perhaps. And then the border region security situation, Indo-Pacific versus Asia-Pacific, and some of the American security moves. You could also expect quite a lot of discussion on the Korean Peninsula, nuclear security in general, and maritime security. That was Myra Lu reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of today's top stories. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill to lift the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Foreign ministers from BRICS countries are gathering for a meeting in South Africa. And Chinese Defense Minister Li Xiangfu is scheduled to attend the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore. That concludes today's top story, which brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Wang Zihang. Thank you for listening.